Welcome back to another episode of The Approach. It's another Monday night, April 25th. We got Mexico right now. We just had the, you know, match play, not the match play. We just had the team event in New Orleans. It was all right, the Zurich. But as always, joined by my main man, Drew. Drew, how are you living this evening? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, Yeah, Zurich, uh, we could go with or without that tournament. Um. Yeah. I, I don't know how much you watched of it. I thought that I would watch more of it. Um, didn't get too deep as we talked last week. I didn't I didn't have a whole lot of uh, exposure last week. So um, kind of treaded lightly and, and uh, you know, watched a little bit Sunday. But overall, um, maybe not the best event from our DFS perspective with the way that the way the scoring works and is one thing um, in a team event. Uh, it just makes there's just too many added elements to to kind of make it something you want to go too big into. Did you have a successful week? Did you lay light like we talked about last week, or how things go with your own? Yeah, I, I did. Mostly did single entry type stuff, and and fortunately used the same lineup. And so fortunately, it, you know, it meant cast, so it's better than losing. Um, you know, six of six percentage was surprisingly low in a lot of the single entries. Largely in par, well, due to the type of event, but then the the Mito and Jocko kind of withdrawal kind of hurt me, and I know that hurt a lot of people. So would have had six of six if that hit, um, or if they didn't withdraw, but I know that's the case for a lot of people. I didn't watch a golf shot last weekend. <laughs> part, part of that was due to I was in a town, a uh, different part of the state last weekend, uh, but, but also just didn't really pique my interest. Um, and yeah. if I would have had a sweat – you know, whatever, but yeah, I don't know about you. I mean, it seems like, yeah, for the players, they like to change up and maybe once a year, it's fun to watch like it is right now, but it, it really, um, it, it didn't get create, even with it getting kind of closer in the back nine yesterday, it, it didn't create much drama. I didn't think, what, no. what are you, yeah. What are your no, thoughts, Drew? I'm with you. Right. Like it, and, and the thing is, it's like Shoffley and Cantlay are two of the bigger names on tour. Um, but I just don't think, and I don't know what Zurich can do to kind of draw the interest, whether that's making it more of a mixed event where, you know, we consider some LPGA players, like there's gotta be something we can do because as we look at this week and last week, we've kind of hit like a slow time, right? These golf tournaments aren't great. The field this week is downright bad. And I understand the element of travel. Uh, where we're essentially 2,500 miles away from where they're playing this week and until we get to next week. Uh, but I think this is going to be like the last down week because Quail Hollow will will turn out uh, a lot of the, the best players in, in the game. Uh, but yeah, yeah I was, was going to say, how, how ready are, are you for Quail Hollow? You got the shirt you're already walking. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, right I'm, now. I'm you're, quite you're ready. ready. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of my favorite spots, right? And I think uh, it's it's a lot of other players' favorite spots. They've held lots of big tournaments there. Um, so you, the field will come back next week. It's just this week when you look at it, it's rough. And like last week, there was some star studded players. You, you mentioned the Neiman, uh, in, in that, that withdrawal from that team kind of screwed everybody DFS wise. And, and that's a whole different argument for a different day on how we, you know, accumulate points with a withdrawal in a team situation. I'm not sure that it would have mattered one way or the other, but 
yeah, it, it, the Zurich has to do something to kind of spice it up a little bit. Um, and I don't, I don't have the right answer for that. I'm not sure what it is. And, and this is why you only see match play once the, once of the, once a year outside of the presence of Ryder cup. I know you're not essentially a huge match play guy, but the reason you have limited events like this is because it just doesn't move the needle like a regular stroke play event does. Um, so hopefully this is, I think next week, the field will be great. Hopefully this is the last week you got to kind of look at players in the 10 and 9k range we're not necessarily comfortable with yeah we have all yeah to completely agree but now as we do move to mexico i gotta ask because uh i know it's the first time playing this course and i, I doubt that your green screen has the the course here so what what are you rocking behind you is that tory pines yes it's tory pines <laughs> yeah. i uh as I told you, I was running a little bit last minute tonight. Um, I'm not sure what the what the Zoom backgrounds are for the course we're at this week. Um, and the, and again, that's an added element too, right? Like, not only is the field not good, we really don't know what the golf course is going to bring. Uh, we can speculate. Um, but yeah, I'm at Torrey Pines. <laughs> I am not in Mexico uh, behind me today. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of like a... Uh, a huge question mark heading into this week. And and again, like when I looked at the outright board this morning, I just shut down. I just shut my computer and I was like, listen, I, I'll look at this, it, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday. It's just, you have to be able to, to kind of digest the odds that you're seeing. Right. It, it's just like, I'm not comfortable this week at anything really at the top of the board, especially, I mean, you look at Rom's number, uh, based off form, it's just wild, right? Like Rom is the one that sticks out this week, just based off the field. Like, what's John Rom doing here? Uh, and maybe that does have a little bit to do with uh, with the way he's been playing recently. Yeah, and we'll get into the field shortly. I'm, yeah, this reminds me of the Palmetto a little bit last year, just with new course, very weak field. What do we do with it? Everybody complains about the tournament. I, I love tournaments like, like these that just have so many unknowns. It's a new course. You don't have strokes gain data for it. We don't even know what really to expect. We're reading right. articles. We're, we're listening to what people say. And, you know, nobody nobody really knows. Uh, and so that that's a whole new element. And then, yeah, then the field is so weak. I, I, I love these weeks for DFS. Tend to do really well. Uh, you know, almost won the Palmetto. Almost finished 1-2 in the drive to green last year at Palmetto, thanks to some Chess and Hadley. But his uh, collapse on Sunday tr truly hurt. But – I, again, I love these weeks. I, I feel like they're game through weeks, if we want to say that, where sure. a heavy lean just on how to be different. Because if you have a Cameron Champ who's 9,400 and he's already being touted very highly on Twitter, you get a guy, a Cam Champ at 9,400 and is highly owned. And yeah, I'm, I'm still probably going to play him. But point being is there could be great pivots that, and on one thing, other, I'll just say that when you get a lot of these unknowns in this tournament, like people aren't very familiar with even the guys in the 7k range and so what people tend to do is go to the do the guys they're familiar with right and go to the the kind of name so I, I love weeks like this it's uh yeah i just feel like there's a little bit of a game theater advantage but all that is subjective and the course i mean i, I don't i don't really care too much about what the course is i know there's a few basic stats we want to look for like dry you know maybe driving dip, dip, uh, distance it's going to be long uh you know, it's wide fairways from what we understand. And yep. um, perhaps Ballum is like the surface everywhere. That's usually the case in these kind of warm climate resort. But 
I'm not really holding too much within, uh, you know, core stats for a model because that can skew you the wrong way. Again, what I typically do every week, leaning harder this week, is just on uh, possible leverage opportunities with sprinkling a little bit of my own handicapping process in there. What are you looking at? Let me ask you this, and, and I, I agree with a lot of things you said, right? Uh, from what I've read, wide fairways, well bunkered. Um, past Palum, to your point, is just a terrible green surface to try to run strokes gain data off of. It seems to neutralize kind of putters to an extent. It's it's a very tricky grass to putt on. Um, I was going to ask you, like, I feel like this week is is a is an ownership week, right? When we're looking at oh, how yeah. we're going to pivot, it's like to your point, guys are going to immediately flock to names that they actually can recognize in some of these seven K ranges, which will. I, I, I expect there to be some weirdly high ownership numbers in certain sections for players that may not necessarily deserve that ownership. Um, but do you think that this week out of other weeks based off the field and kind of just the things we talked about, is, is this what is a great fan share week, right? Like I think for me, ownership's going to, to, to serve a huge purpose this week when we're trying to fill out our player pool and whatnot. Yeah. And I, I personally believe it's tournaments like this that, you get sub 5% guys in the top 10 and the top five, or, you know, maybe even win. I know not as likely, but it, it's happened before. Um, and so, yeah, and that, that plays heavily on ownership. There's going to be, to me, I feel like it's easier. And I take this with a grain of salt, like easier. It's never easy to win a large field GPP. It's just not. So maybe kind of associate a different term to easier, but it's easier, in my opinion, to win a GPP this week because when fields are condensed, like last week, so is ownership. And so it's hard to get the unique lineup, or I should say it's harder to get the unique lineup when ownership is condensed and chalk plays out. But when you have, let's just say, three guys sub 5 and 10% in your lineup and they exceed, this obviously we talk about leverage. Leverage that possibility could create is massive. But when you get these so many unknowns, like in a field like this, I believe that creates more of that possible scenario. Uh, I think it's easier to identify, again, easier, grain of salt, easier to identify guys that will go severely under own that basically has upside. And I should, you know, maybe we say upside, but also downside. Like it's huge risk reward with a lot of these players, but that's what DFS is. And if you're playing chalk and, safety every single week it's hard to sustain that so with all that said yeah i i i think so and this is a great week for that big ownership week and it, it'll, it'll be fun this is one of the weeks where i love you know max entering and uh you know strongly advised to make multiple lineups and get crazy with it this week do you yeah, have let uh, me let me ask ahead. you this real quick is this a week where you'll expand the player pool a little bit being that it feels like there's more guys with the opportunity to win than a normal tour event stop that's a little bit more top heavy, or you just continue with the process that you normally do on a week to week basis. Yeah, good question. I'm glad you brought a player pool because that's one thing. Yeah, I was just gonna check in to see, like, okay, we're you know, I don't know, we're not really at a halfway point, but we're almost to June, um, excuse me, May. And we're about to get to the second major of the year. And so I was thinking, gosh, what are, how are we assessing our DFS play right now? Like, how is our player pool number? And are we at a good number that is uh, giving us the best opportunity to do well? And, you know, are we a field versus stats player? And does that change week to week? Or 
you know, how do we create a model and do we use it similar ways each week? All because consistency is so key. But now coming back to your point, I, I might make my player pool a little larger this week. And I'm not large enough where or too large where it's going to hurt me. So if I make 150 lineups, I'm not going to have 50 players in it. Right. You know, might not even have, you know, 45. But I'm, I'm, I may make it larger to do kind of spread on these um you know, guys that, you know, 6K that maybe have a lot of upside that people aren't going to play and they're going to be 1% because there's just so many un un unowns. And usually I, I always tell, and we always talk about it on the show, one kind of maybe mistake, if we want to call it that, the players make is they make their player pool too big. If you're making 20 lineups and you have 30 players in your lineups and the highest owned guy that you have in your 20 lineup is like seven, well, then you're kind of just too spread usually to, and you don't really have a true core. And so you're not really, that's, that's not a strategy that shows confidence in your ability to one, find golfers, but also find leverage. So we want to, you know, shrink your core, shrink your pool, player pool as much as possible. Um, because again, on the one week where your core, you know, hits, you have the highest upside right. to maybe, you know, have one of the best lineups in the tournament. So we think that gosh, more guys in the player pool equals more win equity. Like, gosh, well, this guy could win the tournament, but that's not the case. This week may be a little different because of the possible leverage. And if we replace these names, and let's just say for Quail Hollow and we, and we just have the salaries, the ownership would be very different than it would be this week, obviously because of the players, but yet yeah, the field is stronger. But if we just have the salaries and we it's to a blind player, the ownership is going to be so condensed this week to the guys that we're familiar of. So like, Everyone's right. going to start a a lineup either with Rom, Woodland, and Tony, and then work your way down. With that said, I'm going to expend the player pool to op because the opportunity of the leverage. If a one percent Trey Mullinex gets in the top, you know, let's just say ten, uh, and then a chalky Joseph Brandlett bounces. Gosh, well that that's opportunity that uh, I would like for, for maybe some leverage there. So I don't know if that answers the question, but uh, no, it yes, does. a slightly larger than most weeks. Yeah, and I think to your to your point, I mean, you kind of keep it. You you like a tight player pool, and I 100% agree with you. But like, I feel like that's also something that that's good is based off event. Like we can we can adjust kind of the way we build, right? Like there's an event where you want a little bit more spread out as far as your player pool with and and you the key word that you hit on is upside. Uh, just kind of finding those players and, and going with it. But yeah, again, if you, if you're going with a 65, 60 player, 50 player, you know, uh, pool every week, you're just spreading yourself across way too many avenues to where, yeah, you might have a lineup that's decent, but everything else, there's no consistency. Uh, if you have a smaller player pool and you have a good week, then you're going to see, you know, that payout be way more significant than what it would be if you spread it out. And I think a lot of people look at it like, Hey, if I'm making 150 lineups, I want as much spread across, like, right. I want as much exposure to people I can and hope that I get one of the right ones. Well, that might work for one lineup, but, but again, it's, it's different if you're hitting on the 25, 30 guys you like and say that you're at a 75, 80% clip, that's going to be better than that one lineup, unless you're the one that's actually winning the GPP, but long-term success, I think it's unsustainable with this giant player pool and spreading yourself super thin every week. Yeah. And one one suggestion I would really make, and this is a, a strategy that I really like. I did it at uh, Houston with Fratelli is 
on weeks like this where I do maybe want to spread toward the bottom, I, I might then decide I'm going to lock one player in my, you know, my whole player pool that's in all of, of my lineups. And so let's just so pretend I'm going to, I'm going to have a bigger player pool, but in every single lineup, I'm going to have one guy locked. That that gives me that okay. I'm my my handicapping. My I'm trusting my confidence in my ability to identify a golfer. It's going to be a golfer who I think has win equity along with with ownership. I think has some possible leverage, and then lock him in every single lineup. And sure, if he misses the cut, I'm screwed. But that happens all the time in DFS. But the opportunity that he plays well, and then my spread core for these really low-owned guys that nobody's talking about because it's such a weak field with all these unknowns, if a few of those kind of hit together, well, then that that might give you enough leverage to kind of do well. And so what I like Chris Kirk. We'll talk about them when we get to him. But let's just say, yeah, if I lock him in and then I include 47 other guys, hey, that's um, – you know, that's maybe one way to consider it. Some people like to lock in two or three in smaller pools, like 20 player pools. And I love that idea too. And this might be a week to do that. Hit the lock button on a couple guys and then spread somewhere else. I agree. Do you think there's a different, and I know there is, but when we're doing single entry to max entry, how in your opinion would it change your player pool, right? So you're mm -hmm. in single entry. Or you're just so with with 150 entries, you're you're picking your 25 guys that you like, and and maybe it is one guy that you're 100 percent in on. If he has a bad week, so be it. If not, you know, so what? It, are you are you focusing more on ownership and trying to be super unique in the single entry, or how? What's the differentiating factor between the two? Yeah, well, that single makes entry. Sense. Oh, it does make sense. Single entry. You know, for me at least, at your job, I'm I'm not, I'm only using one team in multiple single entry com, you know, contests. So I'm not making different lineups for different single entry. Um, other gotcha. people so do. So if there's four single entries, it's the same lineup four times. Yeah, typically. And if okay, yeah, that that that's the case. Uh, but I know some people don't do that, and it, so it doesn't matter. Let's just say you have three contests, whether it's a three entry max or three different single entry, and you have three lineups. You know, what I like to do in in those uh, you know, single three entries is have about three to four guys that are the same in every single lineup and then rotate two to three that I'm kind of less confident about. So if I have locked three guys in there, I might have they're they're in tier A, they're in every single lineup, but I might have two players in tier B that um, I, I really like, but I'm not as confident. And then tier C is you know, the ungo the unknowns, the kind of risk reward type type yeah. plays. But I know other people like to spread more. Do you have a strategy that you do with, you know, maybe making smaller lineups for a smaller number of contests? Yeah. So for single entry, I one thing I, I like to to kind of to your point, I'll have three guys that I will lock in on and have them in every single single entry lineup. So there's three guys and then I'll have a group of five guys and determine how I kind of want to fit it. Right. And the other thing that I really like to do with, and we, we talk about this all the time and it, it's super beneficial even with, with max entering is, is leaving a little bit of salary on the line. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this is actually a good week to do that as well, because again, when we look at ownership numbers, uh, when we're building, you can find lower owned guys and put some salary or keep some salary on the board rather and that's just going to differentiate. You're you're going to see lineups of all different shapes and colors this week, besides the the chalk at the top, because there will be some 
people that just go straight chalk and just try to fill. But I, I think for me, I like to pick three guys. They'll be in every single single entry I do. And then there'll be five guys that I'll try to rotate in and, and make it different that way. So I won't go full blown like your end where you're picking essentially the same lineup in single entries. Uh, I will have at least three guys and then kind of mix in the, the other five to seven guys I like. Nice. And I like your point about salary on the table. We're always big components of it. I'm going to give two different kind of thoughts. One, it might not be as important to leave salary on the table just for leaving salary on the table's uh, sake because of, you know, the, you know, unless you're, you're playing so much chalk, but the majority you're going to get so many different guys and at these pricing points that are going to be low owned because there's a, uh, you know, so many unknowns about it. But then on the other end, you know, maybe we do want to think about leaving salary on the table, not for leaving salaries purpose, but for the purpose of including guys that we have confident in or we want to put into our player pool. Because who's to say in this week field where let's just say the when we're getting into the guys at the low eight, seven K, six K, there's not much between them for a lot of these guys. So who's to say that Nick Hardy 7K is going to out finish, you know, Kevin Tway at 6,500. So that $500 difference, is there that much talent of a gap of 500 right. points? Who, who knows, especially at this tournament where it's a weak field. And so maybe not. So if you, if you like Kevin Tway and you have, you know, 7K left, don't be just say, or oh, I'm going to go up, I'm going to put, you know, Nick Hardy in because it gives me, because Dracking thinks he should be higher um, salary. Don't do that. And so there, there's my other argue against, uh, or maybe for, I mean, leaving salary on the table. Yeah. But, but, yeah, go and ahead. And I think also, too, is like just because DraftKings designates a, a player a certain salary doesn't mean that that player's salary is no, they, worthy they of where know. it's at compared to everybody else, right? It's so subjective. Yeah. Like, And I feel like when you're building, when it refreshes and kicks you up to the top of the salary – when you're trying to fill out the back half of your roster, take that into consideration. Like just because he's he's four hundred dollars more than X is four four hundred dollars more than Y, like doesn't mean that he's the better play. Like mm -hmm. these are just the salaries that they're defining to players. Like you have to, it, it's a little bit deeper than that. And I think it's it's super easy. Like and I'll even do it sometimes. So it's like okay, boom, you have seventy eight hundred dollars left, and it's like oh well, I like this person. Well. Yep. Is this person there could be somebody rated four dollars less than them that that really has an argument to be to be at the same or a higher price point? Yeah. If you're if you find yourself uh min cashing or finishing just outside the min cash line often and that's where you are, try starting your lineups if you're hand build them you know, in the 7K range and not start at the top and work your way down like everybody does with hand builds lineups. So that, that, that will kind of defeat that, that um, yeah, we all will call it the thing that can happen when you're trying to fill in. You think yeah. filling in your salary is bringing, giving you the highest upside. Let's, let's, let's talk about the field for the Mexico Open and we're at Balata, whatever, wherever that is. I don't even know where in Mexico it, it, it is. Obviously you get on Windfinder, check the weather. Um, I think it's only an hour behind the Eastern. So I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's in your backyard where you're right now. I don't think uh, San Diego, which is it's about that three, five minutes difference. away from, yeah, from Tijuana. I don't think it's anywhere near that. So 
All right. Oh, well, we got Rom, who's 900 higher than the next guy, Tony. And we'll, we'll just let Rom be his own thing. We'll just talk yeah. about him real quick. Are you buying, selling Rom this week? I mean, nine. Like, when's the last time it's been? I don't think it's ever been a $900 difference between first and second as far as salaries are concerned. Uh, that stands yeah, out. Uh, I'm going to sell. I mean, he, yeah, could he easily win? But uh, but I think as far as lineup building, you have a little bit more uh, opportunities to to pick and choose where you go if you stay away from that 11300 number. So I will sell on Rom. Um, I think Rom could certainly use a good week this week, especially heading into the events that we're about to get into where kind of we ramp things up a little bit. Uh, but I'll stay away from Rom. Yeah, I want to I want to sell on Rom. Uh but it just feels like gosh, it's a good course for him. I mean, he he take driver every hole pretty much, wide fairways, long, you know, that we know that's kind of Rom's game. Uh Tory, you know, long par fours, you know, we know his success there. Not comparing yep. this place to Tory at all, but you know, lengthwise <laughs> and course setup. Uh maybe just yeah, maybe just a little bit. So I I want to but I don't think Paps Bollum is the type of green that, and this is my opinion, that if you're struggling putting like Rom is, that here you want this slow. Um, That's a great point. Yeah, flat kind of, and if it grows, there's a heat and humidity, kind of bumpy at times like the, the POA can be. I don't think you want this type of surface if you're having putting woes because, yeah, I, I don't know for, about for you that, but when you have to put it harder, that's when I come in and I start. And I'm well, I'm not a professional golfer, obviously, but that's where I start, you know, pushing and kind of pulling some putts a little bit. And last time he played was at Augusta, which we know what their greens are like. And now he's coming to this slow, uh, awkward type of green. I, it just didn't seem, even though you know, resort courses are mostly flat. You know, we, there's a narrative around pass following that it helps bad putters, but gosh, if you're struggling putting i still don't think it, it it helps you i think especially from short distance too which he has struggled right mm -hmm. and the thing is from short distance like you have to be aggressive on these greens because of what you said slower green types very bouncy um and and so yeah that's certainly a concern right like you want to be aggressive and have have good feeling so yeah so i think if if somebody is that and I, well, you could say the same exact thing about tony fee now because what does Tony Finau struggle with? Inside five feet, right? That's been his bugaboo for as long as we can remember. Um, when you are struggling with that aspect of your putting, I think when we start to get to inter, you know, to intermediate, intermediate to long range, it's not that much of a big deal. But when you have to talk about short putting, you also talk about a guy that runs hot. He starts missing a few of these. Um, I definitely think that's a concern and a wonderful point. I think you could say the same thing about Tony Finau. And even to your first point, Golf course should set up great for Tony Finau as well. Uh, wide open, you know, ballpark, uh, a guy that can move it, um, and, a, and a guy that tends to struggle on the greens. But, like, when you you kind of look at from a microscope, where is he struggling and why is he struggling on the greens? And Tony and John are the same. They're, they struggle from the short distance, and this is not a great surface for either of them. Yeah. I can see it. Well, speaking of Tony, I, yeah, I really like Tony this week. I really do. So does everyone else. But one thing that does concern me, because he, he'll be popular, and if, if I choose to go overweight on him, it may be for this reason. It's a second-shot golf course with the fairways being as wide as there is. I know there's water on a lot of holes. There's bunkers everywhere. But it's a true second-shot golf course. I, Tony hasn't hidden it well on approach lately. 
Uh, I know he played well at the Masters, and then he kind of hit it okay at uh, Valero uh, on approach, game 3.9. And yeah, that that that's good. I remember watching the the round. The proximity wasn't great, especially with the wedges. He's not going to be hitting a lot of wedges this week, but not someone who's the second highest owned guy in the field, or I mean second highest priced guy in the field, who is going to be high owned. Not something I want to see, but again, everything, this stats all stream, you got to play them. We'll, we'll finish out the 10K real quick. Not a not an answer course. I know it's the Mexico narrative, whatever. Yeah, not not an answer course. Um, sneaky is kind of not, but but Patrick Reed to me is kind of sneaky. We'll go severely under owned. And it reminds me a little bit of earlier this year in the fall at Bermuda, where he came in, miscut 68th at the CJ Cup, which is a no-cut event. That's basically last. Yeah. And miscut, <laughs> last place finish, and then finished second in Bermuda. I just, you get, you know, earlier in the year, he was squeaky off the tee. That may not matter as much here. Uh Played well at the Masters, played well at the players. He's kind of maybe turning a few things around. I don't think Patrick Reed's going to be very highly owned. I think he wasn't very highly owned at the Bermuda. I don't think he's going to be highly, highly owned right now because he's right above one of the highest and most touted guys right now, and that's Woodland at 9,900. Patrick Reed is going to be a great pivot opportunity. Uh, so I just had to mention him. Anybody else for you, Drew, in the nine or 10K? No, I agree with Patrick Reed, right? And it's it's like you can't you don't want to dive too far into the strokes gain data. What he did at the at, at the players was kind of surprising, especially based off the form. What he did at the Masters was surprising. I know the Masters is kind of a a ballpark where he's had success around, of course. Um, it, it, I feel more confident playing a Patrick Reed at low ownership than I do a, a Sebastian Munoz or Cameron Tringali. Just the way mm-hmm. I feel about it, and I know that that's dipping down in the nine K range. Gary Woodland's going to be straight chalk. There's a lot of good reasons to pay Gary Woodland this week, but but it's man, it's like I would rather take that the flyer on Patrick Reed. The game's starting to come back a little bit, and uh, to your point, I think for whatever reason, or whether people don't like Patrick Reed, which I know is is something that that's out there, of course. Um, but and the fact that he's burned people because people continue to play Patrick Reed at these wild outright numbers. Um, he's just grown tired on some people. So I think there's definitely going to be an opportunity with Patrick Reed. I, I love that call there. Uh, any Kevin Na, I, I could see Kevin Na playing well here. Any uh, interest in Kevin? I do have interest in Kevin. I, I, yeah, I kind of like Kevin here too. Uh, I don't know. Did he put, did he ask for, um, you know, to go play that first Saudi event in London? I didn't see his name. You know what? I haven't it? seen it either. I would I, I would be shocked if he didn't. Is yeah. what I'll say. That yeah. it seems like I know our guy our guy Phil is uh he's going to heading over to London. Yeah. Um, he, but, he can't leave soon enough. <laughs> that's yeah. a different story for a different day. That's right. Well, gosh, the nine K is super interesting. You mentioned Munoz, who I actually kind of like a lot. Gary Woodland, everybody likes. Yeah, yeah, we like him too. We're not. We don't need to talk about Gary Woodland because everybody will. Yeah, why, Aaron Aaron Wise is interesting. He's twenty four hundred dollars more expensive than he was in his last event. That is such an Aaron Wise thing to do, and I know DraftKings makes him, but that's just Aaron Wise um, was under owned in Hilton Head, and now with twenty four hundred dollars being more expensive, he's going to be even. It'd be like four times what he was in, in Hilton Head. 
But I, I get it. Uh, Chris Kirk is one of my favorites in this range. Uh, the last 24 rounds ranked 10th on approach. He actually ranked second in strokes gains par five, second opportunities gained. Really like Chris Kirk. Um, and then Cam Champ. Um, played well at the Masters. I know he kind of hits the ball far, and some people yeah. compare it to when he won the 3M, uh, came from a bunch of miscuts, played well, and then won the next week. You know, one thing that gets people in a lot of trouble, which whether it's you know, decisions, investing, or, you know, kind of doing DFS is the, you know, next shot fallacy that we think whatever's happened before is going to happen again. And history does repeat itself, but but not like this. So if you're betting Cameron Champ or rostering him just because, well, gosh, he gained a bunch of strokes. And, you know, I, I think it was the John Deere and then went on to win the 3M. And that looks very similar this week. You know, be, be cautious because he's going to get a huge ownership high and a huge pricing high. That means we're buying Cam Champ um, at a high. And obviously you want to buy low and no real investment over time holds when you're buying golfers at a high. I know the field isn't as great or not great at all compared to other tour events, but still Cam Champ's been in the six and low seven Ks all year now, a $9,400 golfer. He's one of the most be... volatile players out there. Him and yeah. Matthew Wolf, I think, are right. And so, well, yeah, Wolf's just it, bad now. It's kind of unfortunate, but yeah, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And I, and to your point, yeah, he played decent at the mat, like because that's a ballpark that again sets up perfectly for him, right? There's really no rough. Um, and you could make the 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 case that this sets up for him. Well, I'm not going to be in on Camp Champ. I need to see some sort of consistent golf over a certain period of time. I just haven't seen it. Uh, but I, I get why people would want to play Camp Champ. Um, but if he if he comes in at 10 percent projected ownership well yeah well like then i'm gonna be like yeah hell yeah cam champ but i think it's gonna be more like 18 percent. yeah which is which is the running high kind of number right yeah and again this is the this is the week where you're gonna have to swallow playing a guy at a salary you're just not comfortable with because mm -hmm. otherwise you won't be able to make a lineup um but guys that i really like i'll go back to russell knox this week in the 9k range um I'm with you on Chris Kirk as well. Aaron Wise always seems like the play where when his salary and ownership gets above its head, it's always a recipe for disaster. I think that's kind of played out over time. Um, so I don't see me being on Aaron Wise, but in the 9K range, it's definitely Chris Kirk and Russell Knox for me. I like that. And this finish up the 9K range, you know, our boy Matt Jones, the, the Aussie, it kind of feels like a Matt Jones course, but speaking of a streaky golfer, I mean, this guy can't put two good tournaments back to back like pretty much ever. His best one, you know, I'm not even going to consider that. I'm looking through his whole history. The gosh, even after he won, he didn't play well. <laughs> he's never, he's not, basically, he's <laughs> never had great back to back weeks, but it just feels like a Matt Jones kind of course. I'll just say that. Let's move into the AK range. Who, who are you liking in the AK? Yeah, I, I will play some some Carlos Ortiz for sure. Um, again, I think it, with the approach game, he's top 40 in the last 24 with the, the approach game. Uh, a guy that's somewhat wild off the tee. We talked on how we don't think that's necessarily going to be that big of a deal. Um, and then I'll go back to Doug Gim. The Gim um, Reaper. Yeah, although I never seem to get it right. The only other guy that and I love to play is, is Aaron Rye. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll get there or not. Uh, again, he's one of the guys where I, I think last week I was somewhat high on him and, and they started out really, you know, really well and they had a decent week, but 
Um, those are the two guys for me uh, is Doug Gim and Carlos Ortiz. Uh, also the home game factor, right? I mean, although yeah. I don't even know where Mexico the hell it is, but. Yeah. It's home game, though. <laughs> yeah, home game, uh, regardless. <laughs> yeah, regardless. Well, I, I really like Tagala a whole lot in the 8K. Uh, just streams his type of course. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, let me go to my Paps Palom. Yeah, oh, he's only had four rounds on measure rounds on, on this all. I think I was looking at Lahiri maybe earlier, but um, again, a guy who can can have pretty like sneaky di- distance off the tee, but can kind of spray it at times. Again, we we're saying this maybe this matters less, but uh, pretty solid in the last twenty four rounds and a lot of data. I really like the gala. I think he plays well here. Uh, Taylor Moore is another guy that I, I think will play well here. He hits it on proximity with his long irons one of the best in the field and you know ranges from 175 to 200 and then maybe a little bit higher so i, I really like taylor Moore, but i i'm not um you know very high exposed in this 8k range i love lanto griffin yeah lean models out and sure it's lanto and you know he's can actually make a lot of birdies but yeah he'll be in there but it just he won't be one of my highest known guys gotcha but who will be is a guy I'm hoping is not going to be too popular because I think he let um, some people down at the Valero. And that's Austin Smotherman, who in the last 24 rounds, it's hard to find somebody hitting the ball better than him. He ranks third on approach, fifth in strokes gained part five, ninth in opportunities gained. Um, he's 15th in driving distance. I mean, he just lights up the board and he's 7,800. He's likely going to be popular. Uh, but still, Austin Smotherman is someone I really, really like in, in the 7K range at 7,800. Uh, Wyndham Clark is another guy. Patrick Rogers seems to love to play well. These I know this is probably not a little coastal, but these kind of uh, resort-style courses. Yeah. And then Brandon Wu. I think this is a coming-out party for Brandon Wu. Is Interesting. He's starting to see, yeah, starting to see his name more. Uh, played well at Puerto Rico, which I think that's Paspalum. And then we had the Corrales Putacana. Finished 28, you know, at the Valspar, he finished 33rd, gained strokes off the tee and on approach. I think we'll see uh, some upside of Brandon Wu this week. And I was glad to see him in the 7K. I was worried that he'd be in the 6K, and I think he'll guard a little bit more ownership that way. And so he's not going to be highly owned regardless. But Brandon Wu is my other guy I really like in the 7K. Um, what, what about you? Yeah, so I'm with you. Um I'm with you for the most part. I'm definitely with you on Smotherman. Uh, strokes gain data tells you he's a must play this week based off of the the, the things we've talked about with the golf course. I'm going to go back to Scott Stallings, right? And I understand Scott Stallings missed the cut at the RBC Heritage, but before that, a 16th and a 13th at Valspar and Valero. Guys, game's been pretty decent lately. Uh, and I just think that based off this field, at that number at 7,700, I'm in on it. Um I'm probably going to go back to our guy, Chappie. Um, oh, he, he withdrew. Did he? I think so. See, I haven't been on uh, on the social media too much today, so I'll pivot off of that. Um, so I won't go with Chappie. I'll go back to the the grind of Adam Svensson. Um, <laughs> a guy that I, I, I'm waiting to to have a, a big win, and I think he's got – you want to talk about upside, I think in this low 7K range. I would pin him for as much upside as anybody around him. Uh, so I'll go with Spenson. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Wyndham Clark's an interesting uh, proposition that you brought up. Guy hits the ball a country mile. Um, could set up for him nicely. Um, outside of that, I 
I could be talked into Brian Stewart, but at this point, I, I can't get there. Again, yeah, this is uh, yeah, yeah. This is this is the point of the board where where you got to kind of nail it down. So I, I'm only interested in maybe those couple guys in the seven K range. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm good with moving on from that. Well, I'll just say uh, th- these are two guys that are kind of you know kind of getting my eye a little bit, not for a lot of reasons, but Peter Uline um, can crush it off the tee. Kind of playing what not well is a relative term, but maybe better than he has. Uh, and then Matt Wallace, who hasn't been playing well, kind of, I think they yeah, but showed signs of life in the team event last week. But I just got a suspicion that this is kind of Matt Wallace is gonna is gonna play well. But then moving into sickle range, and this is you know shout out to Blayton Golf. This is the a Pepto special, and you need to, you need to get your tums and the Pepto and anything you can. Because I'm going to rattle off a few. First with the barn rat. Yeah, you know, Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to put him in. Trey Molinex, another guy that can kind of crush it off the tee. Callum Taran, another guy uh, crush it off the tee, along with Curtis Thompson, a couple young bucks. Uh, Robert Garrigus, can't believe how good yes. his strokes gains. Is, I'm in on that, plan. too. Bo Hogue, um, yeah, a uh, guy, he ranks second in the field in par fours from 450 to 500. We're going to see a few of those. Kind of surprised by Bo. We're going to include him in there. Um, Satoshi, a shout out to BK, his boy. Brandon Hagee, uh, another guy that kills it off the tee. We kind of like that. And then, um, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce his name right, but all the way near the bottom, Jim Nose with a K. The hard K. Jimmy Hard K, dude. We the hard Jimmy K. Hard K. Kmart. Yeah. So, yeah, he's going to be in there. He'll be – he might be in the player uh, pool, but uh, – that that's gonna round out. That's very sickening. So we need lots of Pepto, especially if the first guy you start <laughs> off is the barn rat. Well, what about you? The sicko special. Who's who's the yeah. guy in the six K range you like? As much as I hate this, I'm all in on Robert Garrigus too. Uh, by the way, first confirmed member of uh, of uh, LIV. So uh, tip the cap to, yeah. to Robert Garrigus. Um, I will reluctantly say Luke Donald. And and mm-hmm. I know that the distance thing that we've we've kind of hammered home is 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 doesn't set up for Luke Donald, but his ball striking is there. He's actually played decent. Um, I don't expect him to win, but I think he can he can top thirty here easily. Um, looking down the board, I do like Bo Hogue as well. Uh, I will go. See, this is tough. I'll definitely go. I'll be playing some Wesley Bryan. Um, he fits kind of what I like. It's for me. It's it's hard, man. There, this is a this is a tough range, uh, especially fun. this week, right? Like, like I'm looking at the board. I'm pretty much at this point only comfortable with with Bo Hogue, Wesley Bryan, and uh, and Luke Donald, and and I don't know what else to say. I I <laughs> might want to just play some Bill Haas just for the the week he had last week with his dad. He's been, yeah, he's been playing somewhat well. Um. But this is something that we'll have to monitor uh, through through the week. Well, I know I don't know how good that felt saying that who you're comfortable with is playing Wesley Bryan and Luke Donald. I, I can relate because the first, I mean, I don't know how if we're talking about Luke Donald and the barn. I've rat, done nothing but trash man, Luke Donald on social media for for months now. So, uh, it, no, nothing against Luke Donald. I just. Oh, he's a big Mexico guy. He loves Mexico. Loves, he takes his family. Loves, huge Mexico guy. He takes his family there <laughs> twice a year. Brushes his teeth. To Levant, so say he's a member here. He he's a member of this he club. A, he's a friend. He's a friend of the yeah. He's a friend of the the resort. He gets coughed. Exactly. 
All right, Drew, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on this evening, as as you do every evening. Uh, ne- next episode's going to be fun, so I'm going to need you to brush up on your uh, your derby history. Next week is Kentucky Derby Week. It's always a fun week here. But also, I'll be ready. We got Quill Hollow, so a lot to talk about. Next week should be fun. Bring, bring your mint julep and wear your seersucker, and we'll get cooking. Do I need to wear, like, a hat and a suit, or am I just going to show be, up? Oh, man, it's okay. press. I'll get with my tailor this week, uh, and and we'll be we'll be looking fresh. All right, buddy. See y'all. Good luck this week in Mexico. Absolutely.